You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. No, I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello! country this is the weekend crunch i am your host errol marks and my co-host speedy Petey. remember you can listen to our show every single saturday from 7 p.m to 9 p.m new york eastern time only on 103.9 the li news radio network brought to you by new york sports team magazine and the worldwide sports radio network speedy p wonderful weekend the weather is crazy it goes from <laughs> snow and disgusting and cold which i love to warm and springtime it doesn't make any sense yeah you like the cold why are you complaining <laughs> i like it at like 30 40 degrees somewhere around there i don't like it at 17 16 degrees okay. That's fair. I don't want to freeze my <laughs> butt off. In the snow, I like it. It's beautiful when it comes down. I don't like driving in, and I definitely don't like being on the road with a bunch of idiots, which we all know the Long Island roads from 347 to the LIE to Sunrise Highway to Southern State and Northern State. So we all know the major highways over here, and, and I think 347 is the worst highway in Long Island. But we have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. We will be talking to actor, country singer, and dirt track racer John Schneider. If you don't know who John Schneider is... Well, then you don't know what music and movies are because this man was Bo from the Dukes of Hazards, very popular in the 70s and the 80s. A fabulous and great personality. We're very happy and very excited to get him on the show. I think you guys are going to really enjoy him. He's got a lot to talk about. He's going to talk about his career and some of the new movies he's in. There's a lot of interesting things about him, that's for sure. So when we heard we were going to get him on the show, it's definitely a treat. I know he's not the sports guy, the analyst, the athlete that we usually get on the show, but he is definitely a personality and he's somebody that you guys are going to really enjoy when we get him on the show. We'll probably talk a little sports with him. He hasn't been watching a lot of sports for a particular reason, but we're very excited to get on. So John Schneider will be joining us a little bit later in the show. We will get into this uh, Brian Flores situation, which seems like it's a never-ending saga, and Brian Flores reaches out to the NFL and is now putting a lawsuit not only on the NFL, the Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos. Also, it's an open suit for a lot of minority coaches that have problems when they were coaches for their respectable teams. One person we all know, Mr. Jackson, Hugh Jackson, has spoken out and said that the Cleveland Browns did the same thing to him, paying him to lose ball games. And if that is true, like I've been saying for a very long time, that sports and football could be fixed. If that's true, the betting lines and the money lines and the spreads are not quite right. And we all know the betting and the Vegas books are not. We're also going to get into the AFC and NFC title games. Very, very fun games to watch. Very unpredictable, as we saw in the first half with the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. We'll get into that game first, and then we'll swing right down to the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. There are two New York basketball teams looking to make big trades at the trade deadline. James Harden has been speaking out that he wants to be traded. He wants out of the Brooklyn Nets. It's crazy how this just all crazily just happened all of a sudden. Kevin Durant gets hurt and now James Harden wants out. Maybe it has something to do with Kyrie Irving, but it's a very interesting story. So James Harden wants out and Julius Randle could be on the move as well as the Knicks have been spreading their rumors and De'Aaron Fox from the Sacramento Kings 
could be on his way to New York, and we'll tell you why it could happen. So a lot of sports to talk. We'll talk a little hockey, as we always do. We'll talk about the Rangers and the Islanders, two teams that are on two different paths as of right now. The Rangers, who look like could win the Metropolitan Division, and the Islanders look like they could be a top draft stock team this year because it just seems like everything is just falling apart for them. Even though they started to play a little bit better in the last couple of weeks, it's still catching up to them for falling so behind. So we'll get into some hockey as well. We will not have Moneyline Mania tonight because Chaz and the crew are on vacation. Yes, they're on vacation. They'll be back next week. Anyways, why don't we get into some football conversation? And this Brian Flores story has really grown legs. And and to me, with this whole Brian Dable and the situation with the New York Giants deciding to sign and bring in Brian Dable as their new head coach, it's so interesting because... When you look at Brian Flores, and Brian Flores is one of the best, very underrated coaches in the NFL, when he got fired from the Miami Dolphins and had two winning seasons, back-to-back years, a borderline playoff team this year, they were 9-8. and eight. Last year, they won 10 games, and they didn't make the playoffs with winning 10 games because of the AFC had so much depth. But you look at, right now, Brian Flores being available out of all these coaches, and look at all the coaches that were hired right now. And by the way, Doug Peterson signs with the Jaguars. I think that's a great move. Mm-hmm. I think it's a better move than Eric Bieniemy. I think Doug Peterson is a perfect fit right now for Trevor Lawrence's growth. And rebuilding that team from top to bottom. I think Doug Peterson was wrongly fired after winning a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. That's a good sign. I think that was one of the best signings this offseason when it comes to coaches. But when you look at all the other teams that brought in coaches, and there's still two or three teams that are still looking for coaches, it looks like their only way Eric Bieniemy is going to get a job is with the Saints. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. And I'll tell you why. Because when you talk about Conley going to the Minnesota Vikings, is Conley a big name? Is he somebody that really stands out as an offensive coordinator in the NFL? No. And then you look at Chicago bringing Eberflus. Eberflus is a defensive coordinator, but you, you have a rookie quarterback like Justin Fields. And I understand they had an offensive coordinator that they just fired, so they <laughs> want to bring in a, a different type of coordinator. But when you have a growing quarterback, a quarterback that is a rookie, second-year quarterback going into the season, you would think that they would bring in an offensive-minded guy like a enemy that's going to help build this offense that hasn't been there for years. I don't even remember the last time that this team was an offensive-minded team. 2013, probably. The best year of Jay Cutler's career. <laughs> yeah, so if you look at the big picture, you look at all the coaches that were hired so far, they are not slam-dunk hires. And we, we saw Byron Leftwich. He went to the Jaguars. Then he decided he didn't want the Jaguars jobs. There were stories coming out that he thinks that he could get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers job if Arians retires. But I'm hearing it's Todd Bowles' job. So then I heard that he had problem with the questions they were asking him when they were bringing him in. To me... I don't know what's going on with the NFL. I don't know what's going on with this whole Brian Flores thing. It doesn't make any sense because the Giants come out, they speak about the Brian Flores situation, and they say that if you backtrack what we did, we brought Brian Flores in, we gave him a second interview, and we just felt that Brian Dable was a better fit. And Brian Flores says when he got the text message from Bill Belichick that Bill Belichick told him, It was never his job. He had no chance of getting the job. Maybe Bill Belichick didn't realize it was a different Brian that he was writing to. Maybe he thought he was writing to Brian Dable. Greatest flaw, apparently. Maybe he thought he was writing to Brian Dable, but it's pretty fishy when you put two and two together that Bill Belichick, who was involved with Spygate, involved with Deflategate, he's been pretty much every single gate he's been involved with. And you look at where this is now. You have now Brian Flores, an ex-defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. You have Brian Dable an ex-offensive guy for the New England Patriots. It all matches together. It all comes together. 
And I'm not saying that Bill Belichick had anything to do with it, but it's so funny and so interesting that Bill Belichick is smack in the middle of all this again. Yep, found one flaw. Technology, don't trust Bill Belichick. He's a little old for that. But beyond that, yeah, it's definitely fishy because Brian Flores has been accomplished in this league. Yes, mm-hmm. he hasn't made the playoffs yet, but they lost on a tiebreaker. The, the Browns were 11-5, and five, the Colts were 10-6, and six, and they just missed out on a tiebreaker. Granted, they probably shouldn't have lost to the Broncos at the end of the season. That didn't help either, but still, regardless, close in 2020. This year, they were from 1-7 to nearly in the playoffs. They got blown out by a Titans team that will turn out to be the number one seed. So, so it's not a bad season for them either when it comes to rallying around the way they did. And Brian Flores has turned, we thought, the Miami Dolphins into a better culture, which is something they were lacking for a long time since the early 1990s. So it seemed like there was a little more stability. Then all of a sudden he disagrees with the GM, whether it's Tua related or Deshaun Watson related, whatever it may be, there was an issue. Chris Greer, who I don't think is a great GM, he did well accumulating the draft picks, but he hasn't drafted great. Yet they keep him instead and get rid of Flores. Now Flores gets all these interviews. And the Giants definitely look bad when it comes to not doing more due diligence when Shane got there. Now, Shane being a Bills guy, Dable being a Bills guy, that there's going to be an advantage there, but it doesn't seem like they did their due diligence with Shane there as much as they could have with Flores. And I think that's a big part when it comes to the lawsuit that Flores has had. And Flores has had it with other teams too, the Broncos and the Dolphins included in that. And both the Dolphins and the Giants, the Broncos now have different ownership now because the Bolin family is trying to sell the team. But the Dolphins and the Giants both have a lot of these old school owners and ownership groups that are just stuck in the past. And that's a big problem when it comes to trying to get players to want to come there. Now Miami's done well getting free agents because they overpay a lot of veteran guys that are washed up and usually don't work there. But still, that's not going to help get a good football team going. Has there been racism in the NFL? Absolutely. There's been a lot of racism over the years. We've seen it over and over again. I don't know. In the last couple of years, we've seen it with the coaching display. I understand we haven't seen a lot of coaches in the NFL that were African-American. In the last 20 years of hiring, 16% were African-American. And if you look at that, that's a terrible number when you look at the big picture. And I understand when you look at these coaches, even these owners, and trying to compare and contrast who's going to match up with one GM and what's going to match up to the coach that they bring in. But there has to be something said by the ownership over here. Most of the owners are white, and they were also brought up in a different type of family life. So I don't know, and I'm not going to say that they're all racist, but I'm sure some of these owners have their own thoughts of bringing in a black coach. Do I like it? Do I think it's right? I think it's terrible. I really do. And if Brian Flores can prove these stories to be true, the NFL needs to drop the hammer on the Miami Dolphins. The NFL needs to drop the hammer on the Denver Broncos and the New York Giants. And also, I believe that the government and the political parties should get involved with the NFL and taking shots at the NFL, like they did with PEDs in the MLB, getting right. involved with that. If this is true, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, one of the biggest industries in all of the world. It's the number one in professional sports. And if the NFL and Roger Goodell, which supposedly has come out with Hugh Jackson's story, that Roger Goodell signed off when the Cleveland Browns were paying off Hugh Jackson to lose 
football games in 2016 and 2017. And if that's true, Speedy, Roger Goodell should be out of here. Yeah. You're dealing with a completely different issue, too, between MLB, PEDs, which is a performance-enhancing thing, understandable. This is a moral human thing, and this is a problem when it comes to not just sports. It could be any kind of employment kind of thing. If this kind of hiring process does end up happening, absolutely the Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants' ownership should be ridded out of there as soon as possible. And there's probably other teams that are involved in that, too. We know the Broncos are getting new ownership anyway, so those Bolin There's no way. There's no way the NFL is going to just push out John Mara. John Mara is very well respected around the league. His father really helped build the NFL for what it is today. It's going to be very, very hard to get Steve Tisch and John Mara to sell their team. I don't see that happen. I see it better from Miami. I could definitely see it where maybe one of them is forced out. I don't know how much involvement Tisch is because Brian Flores more referenced Mara, and Mara has been the one that's had more of the problems where it seems like a lot of the Giants fans realize that Tisch is a little more of the progressive one. He came in a little later, and he's actually wanting the ones to change a little bit to a more new school team. John Mara is still stuck in his own ways, and his father's ways were good for a while, but you have to adapt, and it seems like they have not been able to adapt to the modern NFL, and a lot of that has to do with these hiring procedures, too. It wasn't just Brian Flores. It was going back to 2016 when they brought in McAdoo. Both Terrell Austin and Chris Richard were both very good defensive coordinators for the Lions and the Seahawks, respectively. And Richard ended up getting a defensive coordinator job with Dallas, but never got a head coaching job. Terrell Austin, that was the last time the Lions had a good defense. And then 2018, too, with Enemy the first time around, 2020 as well, with Enemy again. And Eric Studlesser, an offensive coordinator that was also African-American. So you're dealing with a case where the Giants have passed on better candidates, more qualified candidates. Now, granted, not all of them panned out. Like Steve Wilkes, for example, was another one that was brought up. Like, he didn't pan out as a head coach with Arizona. But this doesn't mean he wasn't more qualified at the time than a retread of Pat Shermer or Joe Judge, who was a special teams coordinator for the Patriots on a Belichick tree that doesn't work. So there's definitely evidence You cannot fire these coaches after one year. It takes a little while. It takes three years to develop a team and bring your team to your offense, to your defense, and whichever way you want to mold it into the way you want to play. The fact that Steve Wilkes was fired by Arizona in one year is an absolute catastrophe. How many first-year African-American coaches were fired after their first year? I think four or five. A lot of them after their second year, too. Like, they're not even giving long tenures when they're there. Todd Bowles, I think, was the last one that had the longest tenure. Long, and Todd Bowles was only three years with the Jets, too. Yeah. So Marvin Lewis was really the well, only one I could think of. because he was horrible. Well, so. yeah, but I'm not saying the other guys were great either. Usually but, it takes you three years uh, that's to develop a team and mold a team. Right. Marvin Lewis is probably the only one that got a a fair shake at it, where he was there for a long time, and obviously Mike Tomlin who's still there with the Steelers, but those are the only two, really, that have gotten fair tenures with their respective teams. Jim Caldwell got fired impulsively by the Lions, and we know how dysfunctional they are, too, so who knows if they're going to be the next one that could be involved in this kind of lawsuit, too. And that's, I think, another bigger problem, where you have the, these old-school owners, and the Lions have that same kind of thing, too, the Ford family. They're the same way like Miami and like the Giants, too, so that could be a bigger issue at hand, and you're right, maybe it could be a league issue, too, if Roger Goodell's letting this kind of thing happen just for money. With the NFL, it's always about money. And how many African-American coaches were hired by the Cowboys? I think if you look all the way down from now, all the way down from the 70s, have you ever seen an African-American coach? None. And if you look at the New York Giants... Do you they remember? Never have. There you go. There has never been an African American for the New York Giants. So these are very highly profiled organizations that are very well known. And I don't know if John Mara is a racist, and I would advise that he's not. I don't know for sure, but I doubt he is. I just think that he knew 
that the only way he could definitely hire Brian Dable right off the bat after he became available was interviewing Brian Flores first because the Rooney rule comes out and it says that you have to interview at least one African-American minority before you hire a coach. So unfortunately, this Rooney rule, as much as you think it's helped the NFL, it's really hurt the NFL because what it tells you is it forces these owners that have to interview an African or a minority coach in return, they already know they're not hiring them. So that doesn't make any sense either. So there has to be some kind of deal from the NFL and the players union, or even is there a coach union? I don't even know if the NFL, there should be a coaching union. At this rate, there might have to be if these things keep happening with qualified coaches that are getting them. And who says these other teams are not finding loopholes and just trying to hire one not as qualified or younger candidate for just to hire them? I'm surprised them, so. there's no coaching union. You talk about the players' union. The NFL has a union. Why doesn't the coaches? Who's protecting the coaches? Right. I don't understand that either. So maybe the NFL with the new CBA needs to figure out something like that where the coaches are protected. Not only with their contracts after they get fired, but also knowing that if you hire hire them, there has to be some kind of thing in their contract stating they cannot be fired until a three-year stand in their contracts. Because if you look back and you look at even regular white candidate coaches, they usually get three or four tenure before they get fired. And if that's the case, the same thing should happen for African Americans or even minorities that coach in this league. It's not fair, and I think the NFL needs to figure this out. And Roger Goodell, if this Hugh Jackson story is true, should be fired. There's no reason for the commissioner, the guy that runs the league, that talks to all the owners, that's involved with all the deals behind the scenes. There's no reason why that he is signing off with another organization, with the Cleveland Browns organization, stating that Hugh Jackson was going to get paid $100,000 every game that he loses because they want to position themselves right. And eventually they fire Hugh Jackson. And then because of Hugh Jackson's record and what he did for the Cleveland Browns for two or three years, he's never going to get a coaching job again. And look at the organizations that are being targeted in all this. Outside of the Broncos, which have been pretty stable throughout the history of their existence, the Dolphins, dysfunctional for the 21st century. The Giants, dysfunctional since the whole Coughlin debacle. And even stretches in the 90s, too. The Lions, do we even need to get started with the Lions? And the Browns, do we even get started with the Browns? Now the Texans are probably another one that's going to be in that mix because we've seen their ownership group, the McNair family, have issues with players and maybe some racism involved in that. Who knows with this thing with the Jaguars, Shad Khan, he's a minority owner, but if Shad Khan, maybe that's a big reason left, which left too, and maybe we don't realize it, maybe they're going to be investigated as well. No. But all dis- Functional teams that are on this list that you're seeing really outside of the Broncos, but even the Broncos lately haven't been great either. The shameful thing that's going to happen is Brian Flores, that was the first African-American coach that got fired that opened his mouth is probably never going to get a job again in the NFL. It's going to take a very long time for him to get a job in the NFL because he's put a lawsuit out there. A lot of these owners are going to say, I'm not going to want to hire this guy because if I do something wrong, he's going to sue me. These owners are not going to allow this. This is the same thing that happened to Colin Kaepernick. Was Colin Kaepernick fully right for what he did? It depends on the way you look at it. The fact is, is he was blackballed and he should have never been blackballed with all this. And then he got these workouts where all the teams and their scouts came to watch a play. Everybody knew that. That he wasn't going to be brought to another team. I don't care how well he played. There was no way another team was going to sign him for all the stuff and all the humiliation that he was dealing with after he got fined and practically tossed out of the league. Colin Kaepernick was blackballed, and he could have been in the NFL two, three years ago.
go. But no team's going to bring him in. I think the same thing is going to happen to Brian Flores. As great of a coach as he is, he's not doing it for the money. I don't believe Brian no. Flores is doing this for the money, even though he's going to win a lot of money. I think he's doing it for the sake of all the African-American coaches and the minorities that are trying to get coaches in the league and getting a fair shake. And unfortunately, even with this and even what the NFL could figure out a way where it makes a lot of sense for each party to work out with these contracts – I'm telling you right now, it's not going to change anything. Not the way it's going right now and not the way it's being handled this way. So, unfortunately, as much as I want Brian Flores to win and I want this to work out for him, I think it's going to not only hurt him, but it, it could hurt the future of the negotiations with the new CBA. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into the NFC and AFC championship. And guess who we have in the Super Bowl? The Bengals and the Rams. I'm going to tell you why it could be a surprise Super Bowl and a surprise winner when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I need a blow dryer, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Search it at World Wide Sports Radio Network. By the way, the Olympics started. Very excited about this. I like the Winter Olympics. Two weeks of fun. A figure skating was on two nights ago. The opening was on last night. So I'm very excited. I'll stay up late at night because it's in China. It's usually live in the middle of the night. So it'll be on Peacock. If you guys have Peacock, it'll be on Channel 4, NBC. So NBCOlympics.com, too, was the yes. best way to watch it in the summer, too. You could just jump around all the different sports once they have the replays of them. Absolutely. So if you're an Olympic fan, a lot the first week. You'll see figure skating. You'll see curling. So I love curling. My sister was watching it on TV the other night, and she posted it up on Instagram. She says, what the hell is this game? I said that at first, too, when I first saw it. I'm like, what, what is this? They have brooms? It's, it's <laughs> shuffleboard on ice. That's right. what it is. It's really, really fun. To me, it's become such a world-renowned sport, and the United States is getting better and better and better every single Olympics. The United States is slowly but surely growing into the sport, so it's great skiing. This is the best time when it comes to the Olympics. I love the Winter Olympics. I love the Summer Olympics, but there's just something about the Winter Olympics, but what sucks about it is there's not a lot of fans, so everybody that bought their tickets to go and watch the Olympics. They can't even go in. They have to either get their money back. It's, it's horrible. When you wait all these years to actually represent the Olympics and not get a chance to see it after all these years. Was it eight years ago when they got the Olympics? They got 2008 in the summer. That was the one Michael Phelps No, no. Off. What I'm saying, they knew they were going to get the Olympics in oh, yeah. eight years ago or right. 12 years ago. And yeah. then all of a sudden, in the year that it comes out, it gets pushed off because of the COVID-19. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you can't even go and watch the games. And it sucks for the guys and the women that are actually competing because you want to hear your fans cheer for you. You want to hear your city, your state, your country cheer for you, and you're not going to get the opportunity to do that. Not only that, how much of the stretch off for a while in 2020 hindered a lot of their training, too. Winter, especially, there's a lot of, like, the skiing, the snowboarding. Like, they need those kinds of facilities. Ice skating sports, the figure skating, speed skating, they need all those kinds of facilities, too, to get it to work. And mm. you can't just do it just outside all the time with every mountain or every pond. Yeah, Imagine it's crazy. Why. I want to get into the NFC and AFC title game. First, first off, the AFC title game was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It was really the battle 
middle of two halves. When you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, everybody thought the game was over. How many people did I hear after the first half? I listened to so many people say the game was over. When it was 21-3, 21 to 3, everybody thought the game was over. Even though at the end of the second quarter, that debacle of a play by... Patrick Mahomes, that really was costly. They could have gotten a field goal kick. He should have thrown in the end zone. He shouldn't have thrown, I guess, a slant pass to Tyreek Hill, and he couldn't get into the end zone, which cost him. They had no timeouts. He tried to call a timeout, and he didn't realize he had no timeout, which shows you that Patrick Mahomes wasn't really paying attention. Messing up on that play really lost the momentum going to the second half, and they actually got the ball in the second half, in the beginning of the second half, the Kansas City Chiefs. But really, it was Joe Burrow and what he does in the pocket, the cool and collective player that he is. There was never a thought in his mind that he was out of this game. Even when they were down 21-3 to going to the second half, when he got interviewed, listen, I don't know if he's great friends with Jake Paul. Supposedly he is, and he's friends with Logan, and they hang out, whatever it is. And he wears his nice shades, and he smokes his cigars, and he wears his nice Nike chain, and all that other stuff, and he's color-coordinated. Who knows? I understand they like to call him Joe Cool, and he's a young guy, and he has a great personality, but he doesn't seem like he's rattled at all. At all. Doesn't matter what the score of the game is. He believes that no matter where they are or what position they are in, that he can bring them back. And that is a quality that only one quarterback we've seen in the last 20 years do. And that is Tom Brady. I've been saying this over and over again. I'm not a Tom Brady fan. I'm a Jet fan. Everybody knows I have my own thoughts to Tom Brady. And we'll get into the Tom Brady retirement as well in just a few moments. But Joe Burrow, his understanding of standing into the pocket, figuring out how to move inside and out of the pocket. If he needs to go left or go right, throw an over-the-shoulder pass. It's amazing how this guy could read a play before it even happens. Tom Brady has been very, very known for that type of play as a quarterback. The one thing Tom Brady does that Joe Burrows doesn't do is Tom Brady likes to get the ball out of his hands as quick as possible. Joe Burrow doesn't do that. He holds the ball too long, which gets him into trouble. One of the highest sack rate quarterbacks in all of football. So you look at Joe Burrow, that's the only thing he doesn't do well like Tom Brady. But all in all, Joe Burrow in that game against Kansas City, who has a very good pass rush. You have Clark, you have Ingram, you have Jones. They can get at you in all different ways. And everybody thought they were going to dominate the line of scrimmage for what they were doing really in the second half, the Kansas City Chiefs of the season. They couldn't touch him. And the offensive line played very, very well. Speedy protected him. And I really believe that was the reason why Joe Burrow and the Bengals surprised the world and won the game in overtime. The best quarterbacks are the ones that are also overcoming coach-proof and offensive line. Yes, they played better, but still an offensive line that we know as below average. Those are the best quarterbacks when it comes to the intangibles. And Joe Burrow definitely showed that, especially in the third quarter with play extensions. He did a great job outside the pocket, making tough throws. And Steve Spagnuolo never deviated from trying to double-team Jamar Chase the rest of the game. And Joe Burrow took advantage of that. You saw T. Higgins make a lot. A lot of big third down catches, tough catches. They were getting yards after the catch from a lot of their running backs. Even their backup running back had the first touchdown of the game, Samaj P. Ryan. So Joe Burrow knew that Steve Fagnola was sticking to that. And it's weird because they weren't actually blitzing as much as you would have expected. Maybe they were thinking, okay, the Bengals don't have a great line. We don't have to rush the passer as much. And Joe Burrow adjusted to that too. Joe Burrow's naturally good against the blitz, but he was able to evolve his game when he realized, okay, the Chiefs aren't blitzing as much as I expected. And you saw one-on-one matchups. You saw them spread away to the outside a lot 
lot of the time to deviate away from the Honey Badger and from Nick Bolton, who's been a nice rookie linebacker for the Chiefs. Burrow was able to decoy them and be able to take advantage of everybody else because the Chiefs' corners are not great, like the Bengals' corners, but Joe Burrow has to know that in his head. I don't think the play calling really helped him. I don't really give a lot of credit to Zach Taylor. I don't think his play calling was great, but Joe Burrow adjusted to those play calls, audible when he needed to, and found the best routes amidst all that, and that's the intangibles that you definitely need to win this game. I also give credit to the Bengals' defense, though. Their defensive coordinator did a very good job in the second half of not deviating away from their game plan, Don't forget about McPherson. Well, of course. 13 field goals in the playoffs. How could you pass that up? But Lou Anamaramo, give him a lot of credit, too. This is not a secondary that is overly great. Bates is a great safety. Second or third probably best in football. Von Bell's a good safety, but their corner depth is iffy. And the Chiefs' receiving depth has been a lot better in the second half. But they didn't deviate away from the classic Bill Belichick game plan of letting a team run and stopping them when they need to. The Chiefs were actually able to run the ball pretty well in the first half with Jarek McKinnon, and then later in the second quarter with Hilaire. And the Bengals are normally good to stop the run, but they actually played the pass a lot more. But they didn't deviate in the second half, even when the Chiefs are up 21-3. to They stayed aggressive, and the Bengals were ready for it. So I actually gave them a lot of credit when it comes to that, too, and taking away the middle of the field, especially, and the yards after the catch, something the Buffalo Bills could not do. And in overtime, I thought it was going to be whoever touched the ball first was going to win the game. It wasn't. And you saw Kansas City won the toss, and everybody went crazy. And then Kansas City and, and Mahomes did not look good. Joe Burrow got the ball back, brought the ball all the way down, and McPherson kicked the field goal, and they win the game. It was fantastic. And by the way, Mixon ran the ball so well in the game, especially in the overtime. They couldn't stop Joe Mixon. To me, going into the Super Bowl, you have to use Joe Mixon to run against the Rams. And we'll get into the Rams in just one second against San Francisco. But Joe Mixon is going to be a big part of on the reason why if the Bengals are going to surprise the world and win the Super Bowl. And Mixon was efficient, too, in that first half. He was probably the only one that played, like, out of this world good in the first half, too. And the second half, he wasn't running the ball a lot, but he was good receiving, and he still was efficient with a lot of the carries. And even at the end of the third quarter, too, had some big runs as well. Once the Chiefs were realizing, okay, we need to guard the deep ball more or guard the middle of the field more once they were finding Higgins a lot. Remember, too, this was also with their tight end, Uzama, injured as well. So they had a lot of good instinctual reads from Burrow as a result and from Mixon as well. Those zone block, even the receivers, blocking down the field. He, he was able to read all that too on screen passes, which again, he's not a bad pass catching running back, but it's not his forte normally. He's not a Eckler or a Kamara, but he still did well in terms of seeing the field in that game. Absolutely, and, and the NFC title game, it was the battle of really what defense was going to show up and what defense wasn't going to show up. And both defenses played very, very well and I think in the first half it was San Francisco's defense that really dominated in the second half. It was Aaron Donald and Von Miller in the fourth quarter completely tortured Jimmy Garoppolo who's the worst, yes, the worst quarterback in NFL history with quarterback rating and quarterback completion percentage in NFL history. A shout-out to Jimmy Garoppolo. He's had a good career with San Francisco ever since he was traded to the San Francisco 49ers from New England. He's had a good career. He played in the Super Bowl. He was one player, two plays away from winning a Super Bowl, but it really affected him when they decided to draft a rookie quarterback and trade away three first-round draft picks for him. So I think he knows he's on his way out, but in this game, if he really wanted to prove himself to stay there, he needed to win this game, and he just in the fourth quarter, just could not stay at the same pace as Stafford was playing. Matthew Stafford, the great 
quarterback that he has been over the years with the Lions, part of an organization that didn't know how to win. And yes, they had Calvin Johnson, but even with Calvin Johnson, they didn't have a running game. Their defense stunk. They couldn't build an offensive line if their life depended on it. He was really traded for the livelihood of the L.A. Rams. They gave up two first-round draft picks, Jared Goff, and a third-round pick. They practically gave away their future for a guy like Matthew Stafford. And Matthew Stafford has proven this year that he could be one of the top quarterbacks in the league with a great offense, with Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham, who had seven touchdowns since he's been there, and really opened up the offense and opened up the opportunity to prove that his arm strength and his ability to inside and out of the pocket, that he can win with a good team. And what really showed me to the L.A. Rams that they were going to win this game was in the fourth quarter in, in certain aspects of the game, especially when San Francisco was on their 40 and they were moving the ball very, very well, where Von Miller was causing havoc on the outside. And in the middle, you had Aaron Donald just push away guards, throw guards to the ground, and really put pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo where he couldn't do anything because there was so much pressure in the middle against him. Yeah, this is also a defense in the Rams, too, that got other guys to step up, the unknown sources. We were thinking for a lot of the season, oh, the Rams can't stop the run outside. The Rams can't stop tight ends. But we saw a lot of the both the backup safeties and the linebackers also step up in this game very much so, too. The Niners were not able to run the ball consistently, especially once Debo Samuel got hurt late in the second quarter. They were not able to run the ball consistently, and that's a forte of the way this offense is built. Now, granted, they do have some other injuries, too. They haven't had Mostert all year. Jeff Wilson was out of this game, too, and Debo Samuel left the game. So maybe if Debo Samuel's in the game, maybe it's a little different. But still, this is not a team. I don't think so. It hasn't stopped them before. So it's still kind of surprising they couldn't get nothing going. Now, in a close game like this, maybe it's a difference maker. But still, they weren't able to get anything. And that's not something that was thought of to happen against the Rams. Now, the Rams' defense against the run was very good last year. But that was with Brandon Staley as defensive coordinator. They were number three in the league. But this year, they weren't as good. So it was definitely a big deal that they were able to stop the run at the end of that game. And also, after the George Kittle touchdown, they did a really good job taking him out of the game, too. They were able How to. How about the greatness of Cooper Cup? Mm-hmm. Two touchdowns in the game over 140 yards. He was fantastic. And when you think of great wide receivers and some of the greatest wide receivers in the NFL and NFL history, they need to show up in the playoffs. And Cooper Cup did it in the regular season, not like Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman wasn't a regular season no. type of wide receiver, he was a playoff wide receiver. Right. Cooper Cup needed to prove himself as a playoff wide receiver as well as a regular season receiver. And this year, he was the best wide receiver in the regular season. He had the triple crown of wide receivers. And then going to the playoffs, everybody thought he was going to be stopped. There was too much pressure on him. And that's why they brought Odell Beckham. Boy, oh boy, were they wrong. Because if it wasn't for Cooper Cup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and if it wasn't for Cooper Cup against San Francisco, guess who wouldn't be in the Super Bowl? That would be the L.A. Rams. And he was a major reason why they're where they are right now today. This was a 49ers team that actually contained him not well. He still, nobody he, can contain yeah, him. Nobody contained him to, to the standard that he had. He probably had the most consistent wide receiver year you'll ever see because he had less than 90 yards in only one game this year, and I think that was against the Titans. But even the Niners, when they beat him in the first meeting in the regular season, most of his yards came in garbage time. So they knew how to game plan for him better, and they still weren't able to do it in this game when it mattered most. He was able to escape a beautiful route on the first touchdown, then a tough catch on the second touchdown. He's really expanded his game, too, with his route running, with his size, his physicality, too. Something that you didn't really see in the beginning of his career when he was just more of like a number two, number three type receiver. And I think they've been able to take advantage of that most of all when it comes to the other guys not really having 
the big games like they did in the rest of the playoffs. Outside of Odell. Odell had a nice game, too, 113 yards. But it was really Cup that took all the attention away from that defense. And this Niners defense doesn't blitz. So when they had to single-cover Cooper Cup, it really is a hard matchup for them to do. And as far as Tom Brady is concerned, over the last couple of weeks, we heard that Tom Brady was retiring after the Buccaneers lost against the L.A. Rams. Mm-hmm. And Tom Brady's father was very upset because it didn't come from Tom Brady's mouth. It came from the media. And then all of a sudden, about three or four days ago, a, a report came out. Adam Scheffner came out that Tom Brady has released that he is retiring. And then he wrote something on his social medias. He wrote something on his Twitter. He wrote something on his uh, Instagram. As a New York Jet fan, I hated Tom Brady. Just as much as I hated Michael Jordan as a Knicks fan all those years. But you come to respect the greatness of all these players. And 10 years from now, I'm going to be able to say that I watched the great Tom Brady play at the prime of his career when he was drafted, just as much as I saw Michael Jordan in the prime of his career, being that I'm 39 years old, with some of the young guys and some of the young guys listening to the show right now never got a chance to see Michael Jordan actually play at the prime of his career. What makes Tom Brady so special is not the Super Bowls. And everybody says, oh, he won seven Super Bowls. No team's ever won as many Super Bowls as he's won as a single player. It's a team game. And Tom Brady has really dimensioned the game of football as a team game. Now, Tom Brady speaks out that he couldn't have done this. He couldn't have won all these Super Bowls without the players that he played with, without the coaches that coached him. Everybody calls it TB12. And I think that's his dimension. His dimension and his understanding of the game is TB12. The way he saw the game how special he was. And yes, he was a championship quarterback and he did it in the big games, unlike some other great quarterbacks like the Drew Breeses of the world or how about the Peyton Mannings of the world. He did it in the big games, but what made him special is his understanding of keeping his body in shape, that he can do it for a significant amount of time, that he retired at the age of 44. I don't remember the last quarterback that lasted until he was 44 years old. No, I don't think there was. I don't think the only other one were kickers. Yeah, so it is an amazing feat that he could keep himself healthy, but really even though people hated him, absolutely couldn't stand him because of how many times he won and the greatness of who he was, the understanding that after the teams played against him and, and all the players played against him, that they realized that they were playing one of the greatest players, one of the greatest personalities in NFL history. And to lose a player like that now, where the NFL is having so many problems with what's going on on and off the field, it's a catastrophe. Even as a Jet fan who couldn't stand Tom Brady, and look at the Jets. They were beating Tom Brady and the Buccaneers with what? A minute and 50 seconds left, and he brings the ball all the way down, and he wins the game against the Jets with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, depleted to Buccaneers. So the one thing I'll remember Tom Brady as is, is, one, he really isn't a bad guy. He's a great person. He really is. He donates his time. He helps people. He's a good man on and off the field. I didn't know that. I always thought that he had something against New Yorkers, but some of his organizations and some of the things that he does in raising money for children and and hospitals, and he helps a lot of New York organizations out here. So for Tom Brady to leave the NFL the way he did on top, and he did leave on top, he had the best numbers he's ever had in his career when it comes to statistics. He just couldn't get over the hump this year against an L.A. Rams team that was just uh, fantastic. But to lose a player like this at this magnitude, it's sad. But you want to know something, he'll always be remembered as one of the greatest players, one of the special, more special players at his position in NFL history. Yeah, you definitely saw two very big things with Tom Brady throughout his career. One, the longevity. Not many players have it in any sport. Nevertheless, 44 years old. And also the leadership. You definitely saw him take, lead 
so many different guys over the years, too. How many times did the Patriots rotate their skill players? They had all new receivers, they had all new running backs. I mean, Gronk was the stable point in the beginning of career. Ben Coates was and guys like that. But they rotate all these guys, even on the field, in-game. You never know who's going to break out for the Patriots at any time. And then when he comes to the Buccaneers, he had to learn. Now, granted, those guys are all great, but they had to learn all these new receivers all at once. You really saw Tom Brady really just take on that duty of just being a leader, no matter who the coordinator was, who the coach was, who these skill players were. You definitely saw that kind of thing. I'd still play at a very high level. All this cliff talk that everyone was saying that he was having. He really never had that for a long stretch of time. Yeah, he had a down year to start 2014. He had a down year to start 2017 when Edelman was suspended for the PEDs. There were stretches, but it was never that long term. He never regressed to the level that some of these other quarterbacks did towards the end of their career. Definitely went out on top, even without a Super Bowl, and is always going to be known as one of the biggest just figures, popular figures of any football fan. Even the casual football fans will always remember Tom Brady. Bill Belichick wouldn't have been Bill Belichick without Tom Brady, and just remember that. And I think Bill Belichick knows that, and that's why Bill Belichick spoke out. Robert Kraft posted something up on his Instagram and his Twitter about Tom Brady, how special he was, and like he was like a son to him. So as much as I hated Tom Brady, he will be missed now that he is retiring from the NFL. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, we will be talking to actor, country singer, and dirt track racer, John Schneider, here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Mark, my co-host, Curly Sue himself, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app. By going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I tried to be like a cowboy there. John, I know you're going to like that. But anyways, I was very excited to get this guy on the show. And now we're talking to him. We are now talking to Mr. Dukes of Hazard. May I say, an actor, a country singer, and a dirt track racer, Mr. John Schneider. What's going on, John? I love the dirt track racer part. You know, <laughs> well, who in the world is so out of their mind that they start doing something like that at 60? Yeah, right? You know, and it's, uh, it's uh, I love it. I'm loving every minute of dirt track, and we're going to do a whole lot more of that this year. And it's great. It's great. I love going into a turn faster than you want to, and then a little faster than that. Well, right next to somebody. It's like riding the subway in New York with your eyes closed. It's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where am I going? Where am I going? Well, I like to make sharp turns when it comes to looking at women. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? I got right. well, who, who doesn't? You can't, you can't help it. I should keep my tone down because if my girlfriend hears this, she'd probably shoot me. <laughs> there you, but we will all know why yeah well that's true yeah, and if that, you that's hear what it'll be it'll be at your gravesite well you know errol well yeah you know you could sing a country song at my gravesite <laughs> okay happy like southern rock i don't know what what was that yeah southern rock survived no you wouldn't be a survivor <laughs> anyhow i'm delighted to be here it's wonderful to be on a sports show i mean a real honest to god sports show i think yeah. that's fantastic especially talking about racing dirt track yeah. racing is terrific i don't know how nascar exists with dirt track because <laughs> dirt track is exciting 
It's actually big out here in New York and Long Island because we have a bunch of tracks out here, one in Riverhead, and they have races and they have competitions and all that other stuff. Well, the first race I ever saw was at Danbury, Connecticut. And I think because I'm from Mount Kisco, New York, I'm right there. And I uh, I went to Meadowlands when they built Meadowlands. I used to go to Watkins Glen. And I think we're coming up to do a couple of dirt track races this summer, which should be a whole lot of fun. Right now, it would be an ice track race, and I'm not interested in that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then we should stay in touch because I would love to go and check it out. And why not do it with the famous and great John Schneider? Ah, thank you. Thank you. And by the way, folks, if you're wondering, yes, my car is orange. Yes, it does have an 01. And get ready. The flag is on it. And if that bothers you, go somewhere else. (laughs) Then it'll just be the star and stripe. As you guys know, we are talking to actor, country singer, and dirt track racer, John Schneider. So, John, why don't we go into your career? Because in your career, you've been practically in the movie business for almost six decades. You are most famous of the Dukes of Hazard. What was it like being a part of a great show like that that was on TV for such a long time? Well, it was it was wonderful. And now people are still 44 years, 43 years since we debuted. We still have kids, especially in the dirt track world, which is great. We have new children who are four, five, six years old who are introduced to Dukes of Hazard through a DVD set or something from their mother, father, grandfather. And they are as crazy about it as their parents were when it was brand new. It's really pretty terrific. So I've been part of people's family and and part of people's fond memories of what Friday nights used to be for over 40 years. Really fantastic. I love it. So is there a thing that maybe the average viewer wouldn't know, maybe a fun fact or a cool story on the set of the Dukes of Hazzard behind the scene? And if so, what was the best one? Uh, Well... First of all, I never dated Daisy, and Daisy (laughs) never dated me. Okay, so the answer to that question is no. And then we had actually people say, oh, you must have had four or five General Lees. Well, we had over 300 General Lees, and I was 18 years old when we started. And the really cool thing for me, because I've always been a car guy, was that if I wrecked one or if I tore one up in any way, there was always another one like 15 feet away ready for Tom and I to jump in and tear that up too. So can you imagine being an 18-year-old with total carte blanche with regard to destroying this car and they'll just give you another one? That was amazing. I think the real Dukes of Hazard fans will, will enjoy knowing that the relationship between everybody in the show was exactly what it appeared to be. We all got along incredibly well. We were a family. We did depend on one another. We would start our work day at six o'clock in the morning. And sometimes if one of us had stayed out a little bit too late the night before, the other one would have to cover for them in the morning. Tom, will, he knows his dialogue. Don't worry about it. He'll be here in a minute. And then Tom would say, John, you know, John, he'll be here. Let him get his coffee. So we would cover for one another. And I think the the real fans are going to love the fact that I was only 18. If it weren't for my relationship with Denver Pyle, who played my Uncle Jesse, I don't think I ever would have come out alive. He was there to help me identify where the landmines were and walk around them. Always there with an ear, always there with some advice, if asked. Denver Pyle was every bit as much John Schneider's Uncle Denver as Uncle Jesse was Bo's Uncle Jesse. I think the real fans of Dukes will love hearing all that. In fact, we did a movie two years ago called Christmas Cars. In honor of Denver Pyle, my character's name was Uncle Denver. I hate hearing stories about shows I watched when I was a kid and to find out that the people really didn't get along. That kind of breaks my soul somewhere, but not the case with Dukes of Hazard. We were and are still a family. You say Uncle Jesse, that reminds me of Full House. John Denver. Not the John Stamos <laughs> Uncle Jesse. No relation. 
<laughs> Hell of a drummer, though. Yes, and John Denver. Great hair. So talk about somebody with great hair. He does. So do you, man. You, you do, too. Well, I'm feeling a little bit like the cowardly lion here today. <laughs> We're making a movie called To Die For about a veteran who is trying to figure out a way to be able to die for his country because he flies his flag from the back of his El Camino. That's what all this is for. So uh, I'm in the process of filming that movie right now. It's very patriotic. I warn you. I warn you folks over there. It's very patriotic. If you don't know what that is, look it up. We are talking to actor, country singer, and dirt track racer John Schneider. You were speaking of movies, and you have a new movie now called Poker Run. And Oh, it's out. It just came uh, out. Yeah. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the movie? I watched a little bit of clips of it. It's a comedy and uh, it's something that really fits your personality. It does. It's a Southern horsepower comedy, very much along the lines of Dukes of Hazard, very much along the lines of Smokey and the Bandit, White Lightning, Stroker Ace, the, those great fun Burt Reynolds movies of the 70s and 80s, May rest uh, Gator. Away. So we're five friends who are in a poker game. We're each given $500,000 to play one hand of poker by a really wealthy guy. And in the true spirit of Dukes of Hazard, basically the story is he thinks if he interjects the possibility of winning two and a half million dollars, then he can destroy the friendships. In John Schneider and Alicia Schneider's world, friendship and community will always win out, just like in the Dukes of Hazard. I drive a Hellcat Challenger with T-tops that doesn't exist. We made it. Actually, it's, it's not a Hellcat, but we put a Hellcat package on it. We jump the lake and we go down the dirt roads. We come into a dirt track race in progress and join in on the track with folks in a semi in my car in a topless cop car it's a cop car without a top easy and also a 1986 red fiero gt so it's a lot of fun if you liked those kinds of movies if you're a fan of dukes there's a very specific recipe about how much fun and how good somebody is in a car and how silly you make the police look there's a bunch of lines you can't cross <laughs> otherwise people call bs they say wait 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 but this movie i think you'll love it if you do then it is actually the sequel to the first southern horsepower comedy we made and that is a tribute to smoking and the bandit that's called stand on it in stand on it the man who plays our kind of jackie gleason sheriff buford t justice and actually his name in our movie is cletus t necessary is uh, none other than our big big friend tyrus from fox from the gutfeld show if you want to see tyrus in action he's hysterical he's as funny as he is big check out stand on it and then watch poker run so before i get to my question i just wanted to promote younger man your new country single coming out in april on the album southern ways southern ways yes i'm going to be singing that song saturday night i'm playing the grand old opry we're going to do lesson and leaving which was a dotty west monster hit i loved i toured with dotty for quite a while and we're going to be doing younger man so you can check that out it actually somehow it came out three days ago so folks check it out if somehow. you are in love it will be somehow. your new favorite love song so it's out it's out right now oh there it goes there somehow it goes right, right out you it's know out. it's running around it's running around the room speedy over here he's a pretty good singer he could be a duet for you you know he could be a background singer for you if you want to hear Come like, oh, it's a very high-pitched voice. He is not what you call a country boy singer. But if you like, like, crow sounds or animal-like sounds in your background, he's your man. <laughs> <laughs>
Crow sounds well. Let me, let me think about that. No, no. So going back to Pokemon, I was yeah. watching the trailer, and there was a lot of those cool stunts. And I, I noticed a lot of your movies, a lot of the shows you were in, you had a lot of stunts, and a lot of that has to do with the dirt racing that you're in. So yeah. I was told you were doing stunts over rivers, stunts over lakes. So what were some of your favorite and most extreme that you've done in any movie, any TV show? In Poker Run, I jump over the lake. That was pretty extreme. But what's happened now since I started racing dirt track year and a half, maybe two years ago now. It's kind of made me either stupid or fearless. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which. But we're going to do a third movie in this installment here. It's going to be called Double or Nothing. And my jump in Poker Run was probably 100 feet. Wow. But that's not far enough because the General Lee record in the General Lee, I think, was something crazy like 203, 203 feet. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to jump the car about 150 feet in the wow. next movie because I, I write these as well. So there's going to be a monster truck event in progress. And at some point, we're going to come through and the monster truck is going to jump over me. And then I'm going to throw the car around and the folks in the car are going to say, well, what are you doing? And I say, well, I can't. I can't not. So then I'm going to come back around and I'm going to jump over the monster trucks. So probably 150 feet doing about maybe 70 miles an hour when I hit the ramp. Once you've hit a wall at 90, accidentally hitting a ramp at 70 on purpose doesn't seem so crazy. <laughs> or maybe it does. But I think that's going to be the craziest one. I've been now doing my own poker run. I drove every foot of everything that car did. In stand on it, I drove everything except the jump over the river. Yeah. I had a stuntman friend come in and do that. His name is James Smith. He came in and jumped over the river. And when he was done, he said, I think this is the last time I'm going to do anything like this. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to. For 40 years, I had little kids come up and say, Bo, what was it like jumping the General Lee? And I'm basically an honest guy. So I had to say, look, Tommy, I never really did. It just broke my heart. So now I am. So now I can actually answer that question. I jumped the General Lee twice in Christmas cars. I did all the driving except the jump in Stand On It. And I did all the driving, including the jump in Poker Run. Never and did. I'm fine. It doesn't affect <laughs> you do. you got You got a set of hair still, man. It's flopping in the wind. Maybe that's why you grow your hair, because you like it when the wind hits you going 100. What are you talking about? <laughs> What do you mean? Take oh, that, William Shatner. William Shatner is right. We are talking Take that, Alan Shatner, Jackson. Country singer and dirt track racer, John Schneider. Now, John, as you know, we're a sports radio show. And yes. I think it's very unique to have somebody like you on the show. Do you watch sports? Are you a sports fan? Or have you been keeping track on who's going to the Super Bowl, the Bengals and Joe Burrow and the L.A. Rams? Yes, the home L.A. Rams going home and playing a home game in their stadium. I think that's all wonderful, but I have to tell you, not going to get political on you here, I haven't watched a football game unless I've been in a bar and couldn't help it <laughs> since they allowed people to take a knee. I yeah, you. and I haven't watched, I have not watched any sport where that is not only allowed, but sometimes I feel encouraged. Mm -hmm. So I am that guy, and I know that a lot of people aren't that guy, and that's okay because it's still a free country. Absolutely. So I loved watching football. I really loved watching basketball. I just can't bring myself to do it. What I say is when they took a knee, I took a walk. I do believe in freedom of speech, but I don't believe you should talk bad about the country that you live in. I mean, if you got a problem with the country you live in, go live in another one. So I'm guessing you haven't checked out Colin Kaepernick's Netflix show. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
I have not. I did a rant in a concert a couple of weeks. We were doing a concert. A friend of mine and I were playing at a place in Baton Rouge, and it was a little late in the night. And I say what's on my mind anyway, but sometimes when I'm a little more lubricated, it was a kind of a sports bar, and there were televisions on, and uh, LeBron James was on one of them. Oh, how wonderful. And I just said, Big Mike, turn that off. <laughs> turn that off. And I, all I ask for folks, and I know everybody doesn't agree with me, and I'm a little unusual in that I have no desire for everyone to agree with me, but I know how I feel. So if you feel that way, remember what your sports heroes have said in the past and hold them accountable to it. Now, if you agree with them, then that's fine. But if you don't, then hold them accountable to it and don't let them get away with it just because it's a big game. Don't support someone who does not support what you believe in just because it's a big game. I don't believe you should do that. I don't do that. You can, of course, do whatever you want. But LeBron James has said some terrible things about this country. I will never do anything that puts a penny in his pocket. Very well said, by the way. Bo's Extravaganza, April 22nd of the 20th. Your birthday bash, a music festival, and stunts all in one weekend. And so, I'm not invited? Oh yeah. Damn so, it. So tell the fans about yes, that. you are. You're invited. Of course you are. <laughs> You're invited. So we do this event. This happens uh, usually around my birthday, which is April 8th. Mine's April 29th. Fantastic. Then we'll do it for your birthday. It's closer <laughs> to your birthday. So what we do is we have this big event. We are in Louisiana, a wonderful little town called Holden, not far from Baton Rouge, not far from New Orleans as well. So we've got food like crazy. We've got a crawfish cook-off. We've got etouffee. We've got gumbo, jambalaya, fantastic Louisiana-based music. Rockin' Doopsie is going to be there, who's an amazing performer. A band called LaRue is going to be there. New Orleans Lady. It was a big hit they had years ago. Myself, my band will be there. We'll be filming scenes from Double or Nothing. We're filming a movie. We're having a car show. We're doing music. We are showing for our VIPs. We'll be showing Poker Run to them on our big screen. We have a drive-in there as well. We'll be showing that on Friday night. It's a great, great time. And it encourages my whole thing. I think you can tell. My whole thing is to encourage people to get together and have conversation again, to meet a new friend, to be a new friend, talk about the weather, talk about sports, talk about politics, talk about whatever you want, talk about your grandchildren or your grand dog. I don't care, but talk, communicate with one another and remember why we are such a strong country. We're not a strong country because of our government. We're not a strong country because of our military. We are a strong country because of our people. So we're a strong country because of us. Let's resist the temptation to continue to separate. Let's join back together, become the states united once again, and nothing will be able to stop us, not even us. That's what we love to do at our event. And uh, it's a big, big time. It's a great party. The food is unbe- bad food in Louisiana is better than great food anywhere else. Well, the last time I was in Louisiana was years and years ago. I was at Mardi Gras. You could only be there for two days because any more than two days is too much. But Oh, yeah. You just flop around like a fish on a dock. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mardi Gras is happening right now. Yeah, this is Mardi Gras time right now. I never had alligator, and it was the first time I ate alligator. It's delicious. delicious. Good. Oh, yeah. They can cook down there. They can sure cook. My wife is from Louisiana, and my gosh, she's an amazing cook. So is her dad. I ate squirrel for the first time. Oh, wow. Her dad cooked squirrel for me about a month ago and it was good how much meat is on a squirrel not much a little more than a frog and less than a rabbit i had rabbit a couple of years ago that was delicious oh yeah it's really good you really have to know how to cook a squirrel and i don't 
<laughs> what do you do with the tail? Do you use it for your hair? <laughs> you put it on your hat. <laughs> you put it on your, and then you do this with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be a squirrel's tail. Anyway. Hey, you have an app. I have an app. My app is called John Schneider. It works check on it Android. It works on iPhone. It works on your laptop. Mm-hmm. It works on your desktop. Go to the App Store and get it. It'll tell you how to go to Bo's Extravaganza. It'll take you to the movies. It'll take you to the music. You can buy a hat. Check out our new line of squirrel tails. (laughs) No, we don't have a new line of squirrel tails. But we do have these really creepy candles. You know, you could get a a creepy candle. You want a creepy candle? Download his app. (laughs) That's right. You got to look. I got Johnny Cash on one side. Do they kiss each other? No. No, I mean, they could, but not, no, not, not my house. No. Last question for us. You have a family and I, I see you have a ton of kids. I'm reading a little bit more about you because growing up, I knew Dukes of Hazard. They came out with a remake with Johnny Knoxville and stuff like that, which it's nothing. Yep. It was nothing like the TV show. That would show. have to be better to suck. <laughs> I watched the old Dukes of Hazards on TV land and stuff like that. It's a great right. show. And my mother like I said, was a big fan of yours growing up. What about um, Smallville? Did you watch? You ever watch Smallville? Yes, you, of course. Yeah, uh, Smallville. I love Smallville. You were great in that TV show. Thank too. you. If you guys like superheroes, Superman, and, and all that other stuff, you definitely have to check out Smallville. Smallville is, if you don't know, folks, Smallville was about uh, Clark Kent as a mm-hmm. teenager, mm-hmm. and I played Jonathan Kent, his adopted father, there on the farm. What is it like being a family man, raising children, traveling the way you do, and singing and doing all the stuff that you do? What is it like being a father? Oh, it's great, but my children are old now mm-hmm. of course my children are old so when i was doing smallville my kids were teenagers so it was a little rough because we did smallville in vancouver and i lived in outside of los angeles so i had to commute every week up to vancouver wow. and back so that was tough but it was absolutely worth it later on in life it become when you become friends with your children it's a whole different story because then you communicate when you can and how you can it was tough but I wouldn't want to have little children now because we're on the road. Right now we're in Nashville. We'll be at the Opry on Saturday night. But then we get right in the bus and we drive to Colorado. And then right after that, we have to be in Florabama. If I had little children right now, then it would be very tough because they would not know who I was. But when I was doing Smallville, I came home every chance. I spent very little time in Vancouver. I wanted dad not to be somebody who occasionally visited. I wanted dad to be somebody that had to occasionally go away. And that's a choice that you have to make. A lot of people don't make that choice and it doesn't work out all that well for them. I did go through a divorce that caused separation between me and my two eldest kids, which kind of breaks my soul. Time will probably heal all of that. So, you know, we'll see. But it's not because I didn't try harder than anybody that I know. Divorce is a tough thing. So uh, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. So on Saturday night at the Opry, my first song, I'm singing to my ex-wife, which is basically. (laughs) And then the second song, I'm singing to the squirrels. (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) And then my second song, I'm singing to my bride, to Alicia. Mm -hmm. And that's Younger Man, of course, which is if I was a younger man, I'd change a lot of things, but I wouldn't change you. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And the first song, not so much. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) like I said. You know, I'm from New York. I say what's on my mind. I sing what's on my mind. Mm. 
And that's why we love you. That's why we love you. Because we're from New York. Well, he's from Connecticut. I'm from New York. The one thing you know about New Yorkers, they don't hold back on anything they say. They say what they know. I think it's refreshing, actually. What do I know? I don't know any other way to be. What did my dad used to say? Son, if you haven't offended someone today, you haven't talked enough. That's true. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I got to use that line. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, anyway, I hope, hey, do get a hold of my app. If anything I've said, or if I've made you smile or laugh or think over the last 50 years or 50 minutes, get a hold of my app. It's called John Schneider. Very creative title, don't you think? A beautiful. John Schneider. Beautiful. It's at the app store. It'll work on anything you've got, except your flip phone, in which case, why? Why? (laughs) Stop. Get rid of the flip phone. Get a real phone. But I will see you somewhere. I'm in a lot of places. Get my app because we are coming to a couple of racetracks in New York. Also, one in Connecticut and one in Vermont this summer. So come check us out. Come cheer us on. Come hear the national anthem. I promise you haven't heard it the way that I do it because I tell the story first. I make sure you know what you're singing. And then we sing our song. So anyway, I'm rambling. You guys take care of yourselves. I really appreciate you joining us, John. We'll definitely stay in touch. We'd love to get you on again. And maybe, obviously, you're not a sports guy, as everybody knows from the interview. But the fact is, is that we really appreciate you giving us the time, giving us the stories and telling us the stories that you have. It's amazing. You have an amazing career. And you're 61 years old, and you're still 61 years young. 61 years young. Yeah, I feel like I'm just getting started. Yes. And by the way, it's not that I don't love sports. I love sports. I know, I know you do. I just don't like the politics involved in it currently. I could love them again. After LeBron James retires. How's that sound? (laughs) The minute. The minute. It's not going to be time any soon because he wants to play with his son. So a few more years to see LeBron James in the league. So unfortunately, it'll be a couple of years before you actually. Well, you know, he could change his mind. I've said a lot of things and I've seen the error of my ways. Mm. I reserve the right to change my mind. And on some level, he does, too. It's hard once you've been that public about something so disgracefully public about something. It it would be hard to turn back on that unless you are a real man. In which case, you can. Well, I appreciate everything. We really appreciate the time. And we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you, John. You be good, gentlemen. Thank you so much. John Schneider, ladies and gentlemen. Actor, country singer, dirt racer. And and a squirrel eater. So there you go. I've been called a lot of things. A squirrely. Uh, he's a squirrely eater. He's a squirrel eater, ladies and gentlemen. He took me half the way there. He's a squirrely eater. McCartney <laughs> and Lennon are like, or Lennon's rolling in his grave. And McCartney's going, what? What the hell? John he was a squirrel eater. Oh, God. Uh, goodbye. I'm going to. I'm going to. Press press. <laughs> See ya. John Schneider, a.k.a. Mr. Squirrel Eater. How do you like that? He likes squirrels. He likes crocodiles, alligators. He'll eat anything. What a wonderful guy. Sensational interview. Smart, energetic, personality-wise, Speedy. Did you love him or not? I love it. Everything in that interview, from great movies, great stories with the Dukes of Hazard, to all the crazy stunts, to all the crazy food, to the candles kissing, to everything else. Oh, he was wonderful. Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And he had his little thoughts to LeBron James as well. And speaking of LeBron James, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some basketball. Yes! We're going to get into the New York Knicks, and they're looking to move, finally, Julius Randle. The stories are starting to come out. Some trade talks. Is he going to L.A.? Is he going to Sacramento? Is he going to Chicago? Who knows? Who wants Julius Randle? Spin the wheel and make the deal. So we'll get into the New York Knicks and Jamie Lee Harden. Yes, James Harden speaking out that he wants out 
of the Brooklyn Nets. Is it Kyrie Irving? It seems like it is because Kevin Durant has not been in the locker room for a couple of weeks, and he won't be back for a couple more. So when we come back, we'll get into the James Harden saga and Julius Randle. Where is he heading next? Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Mark. My co-host, Speedy Dan Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time Holly on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. John Schneider, ladies and gentlemen. How could you not like that guy? I mean, seriously, I wasn't a Dukes of Hazard fan. I watched a couple episodes. To be honest with you, he's absolutely right. I saw the one with Johnny Knoxville. It was horrible, the remake. Jessica Simpson looked really good in the movie. But nevertheless, the Dukes of Hazard. you can't remake, to me, a TV show that has been very well-respected around the world and still is. I mean, it's on TV land still. So if you're a Dukes of Hazard fan, you would have loved that interview with John Schneider. He's fantastic, and he's a squirrel eater. So there you go. John Schneider would never invite Jessica Simpson in any of his exotic food parties because he'd probably think the rabbit is a chicken or something like that. I like rabbit. As everybody knows, I was at Mardi Gras a couple of years ago. I was say about 10 years ago. And I had alligator for the first time. Spicy but delicious. Really liked it. It was like a sausage. It, they made it out of a sausage. It was delicious. When he told me it was alligator, I was like, it's actually really tasty. I always wanted to try authentic Louisiana, New Orleans food. My friend, lives like d- my friend lives down there. I've always been wanting to visit him there where like I get the money and stuff like that and just try all this great southern cooking. Yes, it's delicious. It really is. Maybe one day we'll go. Anyways, I want to get into this whole New York Knicks situation and the Brooklyn Nets. This is the hottest time of year because you have the NBA All-Star game a couple of weeks away, and then you have the trade deadline, which seems to be a spin-off of just craziness. And I don't know what's going on with the New York teams right now. It's like spin the wheel, make the deal, wheel of fortune, jeopardy, whatever game show you want. With the New York Knicks, Julius Randle's had a, just a complete completely terrible season. He's just been horrible. He's averaging 18 points. He's 42% field goal percentage. He can't hit his foul shots right now. His rebounding has gotten worse this year. He's still a decent passer, but he's been ball hogging, shooting up bricks, air balls. He's been horrible. The best thing about the Knicks this year is the growth of R.J. Barrett. You've seen that R.J. Barrett can take over games, and you can see that R.J. Barrett could be the number one target for this New York Knicks team. But right now, Julius Randle's stock has gone down. He did take the least amount of money in the offseason with the great year last year. Comeback player of the year. He was an all-star last year, averaging almost 24 points a game, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists. He was one of the best players in the league last year. But he also played with no fans. There was nobody in the audience until the end of the season. You saw what he was when the fans started to come in. He didn't play as well. Then the playoffs, he completely had a no-show against the Atlanta Hawks. And Atlanta Hawks went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. It could have been the Knicks going to the Eastern Conference Finals if they beat the Hawks. But to me, you really get to know who Julius Randle is. And then this year, with the whole thumbs down and talking trash to the fans and talking trash about the fans, saying he doesn't give a crap when last year they were screaming MVP for him and he loved it. And he says, this is all about the fans of New York. I wouldn't be the player I am right now and I wouldn't want to be here if it wasn't for the fans. And then he takes shots at the fans the year after. So 
I don't know where Julius Randle is, but there are rumors coming out right now. They've reached out to the Lakers. The Lakers are very much interested in Julius Randle, the LeBron Lakers, because he's probably going back after all that. Yes. So Julius Randle has been definitely somebody that the Lakers are interested in. Also, the Sacramento Kings. There are stories coming out that the Knicks reached out to the Sacramento Kings. They have their point guard of the future now. And De'Aaron Fox, he's expendable. He had a big contract. He's getting paid a lot of money. And the Knicks are looking for a point guard. Now, what's good about De'Aaron Fox is he's one of the faster guys in the NBA. He can open up the court and be the player the Knicks need him to be. But he's not a great shooter, and that's a big problem, especially in a Thibodeau offense. But to me, would I want De'Aaron Fox or would I want... Julius Randle. I'm going to want De'Aaron Fox. I think he's the point guard that the Knicks have been craving, what they need. And to me, that would be an awesome flip-flop of players. Because Sacramento could get a player that is a little bit cheaper. The Knicks can get a little bit more of an expensive player. They'll have to throw another player or two in there. But I think this would be a great trade. Yeah, no, I do too. Because I think the other thing too is a lot of the Sacramento reporters have mentioned that Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox are not getting along either. So maybe that could keep him incentive. Now, Buddy Heald's been in a lot of trade rumors too. Maybe that could be an incentive to keep him and trade De'Aaron Fox and still get a good player. Not great, but good player in Julius Randle back. And Julius Randle is not going to touch the ball massive amounts because of Heald and because of Tyrese Halliburton, their young point guard too. So that kind of situation could present itself well for Julius Randle. Sacramento, not a big market. So you're not going to have to worry about those fans berating you like the Knicks fans do. And it's not a big pressure city because, well, the Kings, yeah, they have a playoff drought that's forever. But there's going to be pressure from the local media. But it's not like the Knicks or the Lakers or the Miami Heat or anything like that where you're going to have all that kind of pressure. Now with the Nets with their big three as well, that might not be a big three. But still, I think it's a good swap when you look at the contracts too because De'Aaron Fox is five years, 163, which is pretty big. But it's, again, it's for a younger point guard that has some upside still, it still might be a good long term investment to look at. Now, it's backloaded, so the Knicks, if they were to do that kind of thing, it'd be 32, 34, 37 later on, but maybe at that point, he becomes a peak point guard at that point. Shooting is something that can be developed. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's something that still is something that can be developed later in his career. Look at LeBron. LeBron wasn't a great shooter at the beginning of his career, too. He developed his shot. Now, I'm not saying De'Aaron Fox is going to be that good, but still, it's something that can be developed. The Knicks haven't had a point guard like this since the 90s, so they need something like that to get a spark and get something going with these young players. Absolutely, and there's just so much stories coming out of the New York Knicks. If I were the Knicks right now, even if they make the playoffs, even if they squeak into the playoffs, they're not going to win anything this year. And even if they bring in De'Aaron Fox and they trade Julius Randle, they're still not ready to win. So if you're a Knicks fan, do you want them to win or do you want them to lose? If you're a real Knicks fan, you would say you would want them to lose. I know nobody's going to absolutely bomb games, but Right now, with the draft the way it is this year, they still have their pick. I still Do they have Dallas's pick this year? No, I think Dallas's next pick year. was next year, yeah. Right, so they still have their pick. It could be a lottery pick. And you want to get into the lottery in this year's draft because I think there's a lot of depth in this year's draft. And I think if the Knicks can get into the top seven or a top six of picks, they can get another good player and they can build around the R.J. Barrett's, the Obi Toppins, the Quigley's, the Grimes. And then you have De'Aaron Fox and R.J. Barrett. And if you decide to bring back Cam Reddish next year, right. you have players that you can build around and you'll have trade pieces if you want to go after a Williamson or somebody like that. So I understand why a lot of Knicks fans still like Julius Randle, but Julius Randle is just not fit to play in New York. I just don't see him to be a New York Knick in the future. I think he took a good contract because he thought that he was going to have another good season and the Knicks were going to bring in another superstar to play with him and R.J. Barrett. But 
He is not even a Robin. He's like a Spider-Man or, or something like that. I mean, oh, a no, Wolverine. He's not, he's not that good. He's not Spider-Man. Whatever. You know? <laughs> that Catwoman, like all right? That. The Penguin or whatever. The yeah. Riddler. He's probably more like the Riddler because he's yeah, got jokes. That's, that's a good one. All in all, right now, when you look at the big picture, Julius Randle is not fit to be there for the future for the New York Knicks. So I think they need to decide what they're going to do with him and move on from him. I think as well, too, the way team basketball worked with Thibodeau's system, it definitely is evident now that him wasting shots the way he does is not going to work for players like this either. And De'Aaron Fox isn't like that. De'Aaron Fox, yeah, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's Russell Westbrook. But he's still not somebody that when they miss their shots, they still keep shooting anyway and derail teams from having good team offenses too. Not that the Kings are great, but their problems are more on defense. Yeah, and De'Aaron Fox is a guy that gets to the hole. Decent foul shooter. He's not the best foul shooter, but he's a 76-77% foul shooter right now in the NBA, and he can develop a shot. He doesn't need to be a three-point shooter. The Knicks have a couple of really good shooters on a team, and Grimes is a future great shooter for the New York Knicks. Quigley is a great shooter for the New York Knicks. Even Obi Toppin's become a decent big man that can shoot threes. And Obi Toppin, you want to see more Obi Toppin play. And since Julius Randle's been a part of this team, we haven't seen enough of Obi's development. So they need to move on. That's why they drafted Obi Toppin. They could have had it Halliburton, but they wanted Obi Toppin. So they need to get him on the court. They need to play him as much as they possibly can to figure out what he is. As far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, I don't know what's going on with James Harden. I understand Kyrie Irving came back. You would think that Kyrie and James wanted to play together. That's why they brought three of these guys together. You see the body language on the court. It doesn't look like Kyrie wants to play with him, and it doesn't look like James wants to play with him. And now that Kevin Durant is hurt, he's not the middleman that can control what's going on on and off the court. So now you see what's going on, and the team isn't playing well right now. Ever six since, seed now. Yeah, ever since Kevin Durant has gotten hurt, they're just not playing at the top of their game. So I think the Nets are going to have to decide what they're doing with James, because if James is saying that he's going to leave at the end of the season, you need to get back something for him, especially giving up all those picks. And by the way, this could absolutely ruin Marks. This could absolutely ruin him. We've seen this already. Billy King traded away draft stock and great young players for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and the Jet, and it didn't work out over here. Now you bring in James Harden two years later, he wants out, and you gave up all those picks and all those players. It's absolutely horrible, and Karis LeVert has become a really good player. Jared Allen has become a great player over there. And then the Spencer picks. Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie, the picks. This is absolutely terrible for the Brooklyn Nets. And this could send Marks all the way back to the San Antonio Spurs. Because I knew this was going to hurt them doing this. James Harden has not worked out for them. And... It seems like he wants out, and he already said he's on his way out of here. So maybe Ben Simmons, even though it's not fair, at least you're getting something back for him. Ben Simmons still a good player. He's not a super, superstar player, but he's still a star, a guy that can give you rebounds, which they crave, they need. He's one of the best defensive players in the league. That's what they need. So if it comes down to it, trade him to the 76ers. That's where he wants to go and get Ben Simmons. Yeah, you might see a three-way swap, too, with trying to match the money as well, too, because the Sixers have a lot of money problems, too. So they're probably going to have to even try to move Tobias Harris or something that too, whose contract looks bad the way he's playing this year as well. So it's going to be a lot of tricky trade dilemmas for the Nets if they're going to try to do this because James Harden is a great player, but there's not a lot of teams like actively shopping their stars as much as we thought. The Wizards are back on the market with Bradley Beal trying to trade him, but the Damian Lillard, the CJ McCollum's that we thought are would be traded. Are they trading Bradley Beal? Now the rumors are back on that they're trying to again, so maybe that's an option, but again, still. Boston Celtics. Even though Jalen Brown. 
I'm telling but you. But he's another one that's on the market, too, which is interesting, I too. love Jalen Brown. I hated Jalen Brown. Remember how many times? I, I, I didn't played? like him either out of the draft, either. But now I really love the, his game. It's really transformed. Right. It really Maybe is. that's the kind of player that would be an ideal swap for both teams, because the Celtics have lacked offense. I'm not sure if James Harden's going to want to stay there, but the Celtics lack offense, and the Nets really still lack defense. Jalen Brown for James. I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, and Jalen Brown is still young, too. Actually, that's, And he's a great defensive yeah, player. Yeah, that, that actually probably could be a swap that could be looked at. Obviously, the Celtics have to throw in a little more than that. But James doesn't want to go. He wants to go to 76ers. That's my point. So you're dealing with a case where because the Sixers cashed up themselves badly, too, and Bede's contract's big. Now, he's great. He's worth it right now. But Ben Simmons' contract, Tobias Harris' contract, and even a lot of the veterans that they're still paying because of all the bad contracts they had in the past, they have to try to make that money thing work. Now, the Nets right now don't have the money problems as much. They have all the money invested into the three players because everyone else is on vets minimums pretty much. So they don't really have that issue. But the Sixers, if they're going to make that kind of thing work, might have to get another team involved, too. So that's what is going to make it very tough for the Nets to try to be able to move hard in the way that they have doing it. And also, again, him wanting out, too, is going to lower his trade value, too. So the team going to say, all right, can we make this kind of thing work, too? If James Harden isn't cooperating with the Nets, with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, is a contending team going to think, all right, maybe this is a guy we could trust, even though he's a superstar player. And Anthony Davis is definitely going to be available for the Lakers. I think so, too. I really do, especially the way the Lakers are playing and teams like the Knicks that are looking for that other superstar. If they can't land De'Aaron Fox. Maybe they trade Julius Randle over there to the Lakers and maybe another piece or two to the Lakers and you swap for a guy like Anthony Davis and bring him to New York. He wanted to play in New York. You get him to play with R.J. Barrett and the players that they have and then in the offseason maybe either you draft a point guard or you maneuver somebody where you can bring another good point guard to play with this team and then you have your three guys. You have your R.J. Barrett. You have your Anthony Davis. You have your point guard that can actually get this team over the hump. Something that the Knicks have not done over the last couple of years. And I want to see the Knicks a playoff team every single year where they're competing and maybe eventually compete for a championship. Yeah, I always was curious because Anthony Davis' first trade was to the Lakers, so LeBron is still in control of the players he's going to want to be in. And he really hasn't had that kind of control yet in his career. Now Kevin Durant's starting to have that with the Warriors, then with the Nets, and Steph Curry, obviously, with the Warriors, bringing in Kevin Durant, too. But Anthony Davis hasn't really had that kind of leverage yet, so you wonder wherever he ends up getting traded, what kind of effect that'll have in terms of him wanting to bring in the players that he wants to play with most, too. And the Bulls were initially the team that he wanted to go to a couple of years ago, but now they spent a lot of money this offseason. And I don't know if they're going to mess with what's working for them as the number two seed in the East. So maybe now that does present an opportunity for a team like the Knicks who have the money and have the big market incentive too to finally make that kind of thing work. It's just a matter of can they get it done and can they get the players that Anthony Davis would want if that's the move they want to make. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, a tale of two tapes. A New York Ranger team that's just completely playing at a high level. And then a New York Islander team, being an Islander fan, not very happy about a team that's played better, but on the bottom of the league right now. So when we come back, we'll get into both New York teams, what the Islanders need to do as the trade deadline and the NHL All-Star game this weekend is coming up. It's crazy. It really is. It's going so fast. What the Islanders need to do to get back into this race here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Holly, on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World 
Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. Why not talk about the All-Star break and the battle of two teams in New York? Well, three teams in New York. A Buffalo team that really hasn't been much of a battle. (laughs) I was going to say, are they really a team? (laughs) And the Islanders and the Rangers. The Islanders have played better in the second half, but they can't find scoring. And this has been a big problem all season long. The Barzell line where you expected with Anders Lee coming back that this was going to be a better offensive line. They still can't find another winger that can play with him. And right now, Palmieri, Parisi, it just hasn't worked out for them this year. And with the COVID-19 situation and with the new stadium and traveling almost 11,000 miles in the first month of the season because you had no home games, it really affected the Islanders' play. And and to me, you could see the battle of two New York teams. One New York team that has a new coach, and you thought they were going to be a borderline playoff team this year, but not this good. But it has a lot to do with health right now with the New York Rangers. And everything has fallen together for the Rangers. As for the Islanders, it just hasn't, Speedy. And that's a big problem with moving into the second half of the season where you need to decide what this team is. Are you going to trade away pieces? Are you going to bring in players to rebuild this offense that's just been absolutely a debacle? Yeah, it's a lot of depth pieces that we thought the Islanders had at the start of the season just aren't there. And now they're in a weird situation where do they make a trade? Do they get more aggressive? Not necessarily just because of this season, just because of the trajectory they have. They have great young players in that system. They have what is normally, in normal years, a consistently good team. Again, there's all the circumstances this year with their arena, all the COVID stuff, all the injuries. It's just been a wacky year for the Islanders. And again, they're still playing well amidst all that. A lot of teams could fold and be really, really bad at the bottom of the standings where teams like Montreal are and the Flyers and teams like that. So they've overcome it well to the extent where there might still be a desirable destination. We mentioned Vladimir Tarasenko all year, but now there's even some other guys that have been available on the market. We've heard Jake DeBrusque's name all year being dangled in in trades by the Bruins. The Vancouver Canucks have dangled JT Miller now, former Ranger. So there's definitely some options out there for the Islanders if they want to. And there'll always be surprise sellers, too, of teams that were down this year that were expected to play better. A team like Winnipeg that was down this year. The Sharks that are always looking to trade pieces. Teams like that that could have openings. Yes, and I think where the Islanders are definitely going to be looking is an offensive player. A player that could put the puck in there. A player that could play at the speed of a Barzell because that first line is not getting enough, is not giving enough. And to me, even with Brock Nelson coming back and has played well. They're just not the offensive team we thought they were going to be this year, being that they had four lines and and one of the best teams in the league when it comes to four lines that can give you points and goals on each line. They just haven't been there this year. Defensively, they haven't played well. Sorokin, to me, has been a borderline all-star. He's really kept this team together, and when we talk about the rebuilding of this goaltending position, something that the Islanders haven't had a top goaltender really since Billy Smith, a young goaltender of that magnitude, now they have one. Now they have somebody they can build around. Now they got to depend on finding those offensive players that can help them get to that next level. As far as the Rangers are concerned, Kreider's having a great season, and being that he's 30, him having a season like this in the offseason, I think the Rangers should think to move him. They can get a lot for him. He's going to have 50 goals this year. He's in the prime of his career right now. With a player doing as well as he's doing in this offense, I don't know what they're going to do in the offseason. And being that you have a new GM and you have a new coach in line, I know Chris Kreider is a guy that you would want to keep 
But being that the Rangers are right now in salary hell, and that's what they are right now, you have a Chris Kreider. You can get a, a predominantly slew of draft picks, Speedy. This is a good move for the New York Rangers at the end of the season. Keep them. Try to make a run this year and then in the offseason decide what you're doing with them. Yeah, it's interesting because right now this season, when you look at the way Kreider has played and in terms of the type of player he is, he's one of the few physical forwards they have. Now, they've been more physical with Gallant's system, but that still doesn't justify that most of the team is more of a speed and skill-oriented team for the most part. It also depends on if they try to be aggressive at this trade deadline for maybe a rental player, a guy that's going to be a free agent. I brought up JT Miller on the last year of his contract. The Canucks, a former Ranger. Is that somebody that they end up targeting? We've seen a couple centers that have been dangled on the trade block. Claude Giroux. I don't know if the Flyers are trading with the Rangers, but he's definitely a name that's been floated around. Joe Pavelski from the Dallas Stars, another one that's interesting. And even like DeBrusque as well, too. The guys that I mentioned for the Islanders that have been interesting. But the Rangers have been mostly, it seems like in the market for more wings, which is weird because they have a lot of wing depth as it is, too. There's a couple Coyotes that have been in the mix as well. There's always going to be the teams that always trade with the Rangers in the Western Conference, so it'll be interesting to see, but I think in terms of the decision of trading Kreider, that will depend on if they can get something else of a veteran presence or a center, something like that, a good center that could help out with that to fill that kind of void because Kreider brings a lot of other things to the game more than just goal scoring throughout his career. Mm. This is just the year that he's happy to get the goal scoring together with Gallant. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, the last segment of the week. Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. Come on! Yeah! Little Biggie, come on! Ho! 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 We are! We are the Weekend Crunch! We are! We are! Come on! Come on! As you guys know, we are! The Weekend Crunch. My name is Errol Marks. Speedy Speedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. I hope everybody loves us and enjoys what we do here. We like to entertain you guys. And uh, as we move forward with this year with sports over here in Long Island, I hope everybody enjoys what we do for you guys. And we are happy to be here and to entertain you guys every single Saturday night. Speedy, are you ready? Yes, it is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we'll start in the NFL. Another interesting rumor. Aaron Rodgers now buying a house in Tennessee. Do the Titans trade for him? Buy or sell? I'm buying it, baby. If he goes to the Titans, that is the number one team in the AFC and the number one team in the NFL. Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. Oh, boy. Here we go. I'm buying it. I'm going to sell it only because of the Devontae Adams wanting to play with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if the Titans are going to want to pay Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and Devontae Adams if he's going to become a free agent. That's the only thing that would hold that kind of thing back. Unless they try to trade A.J. Brown or something like that or try to move Julio Jones. I, I just don't see that kind of thing happening. So just because of the Devontae Adams factor, I will sell it. All right, buy or sell. James Harden will be traded to the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm, I'm going to buy it because right now he's going to be on his way out because he already said he's on his way out. And there's no way the Brooklyn Nets are going to lose him for nothing. So I am absolutely going to buy it. I am going to sell it. They're going to try hard because Daryl Morey loves to do extreme things, but they are just so cash-strapped. They're going to need to get a third team involved. I just don't know if the Sixers have the draft stock. The Nets definitely don't have the draft stock to help out that kind of team or any team that would be going to try to take on that kind of contract. So I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Tuka Rask. 
Trask is back. Can the Bruins get a spark? By or sell, they will be up to third in that division. They're six points behind the Leafs right now. Ah, not going to happen. I don't care if Tuka Rask is back. I don't care if he's Superman. There's no way in hell they're not playing good hockey. And even though the understanding of where the division is and, and how open it is, and the Maple Leafs have not played well at the end of the second, at the end of the first half, I don't buy it. So I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I, the Leafs have also had great goaltending this year from Jack Campbell. Their defense is still not great, but it's like the Rangers has been a little better than in years past, and the Bruins just haven't gotten enough consistent scoring. So I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. The Jets will end up with one of these wide receivers: Calvin Ridley, DK Metcalf, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, or Mike Williams. I'm going to buy it. One of those guys are definitely going to be Jets. They're looking for a number one. They don't have a number one, and they have a lot of money to spend, so I will buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I think it makes a lot of sense. Them wanting to trade Denzel Mims. I could see a Calvin Ridley kind of thing happening where they trade Denzel Mims, maybe a third-round pick to the Falcons. DK Metcalf with the Seahawks. We've already seen the Jets fleece the Seahawks before. Maybe that's an option for them. But I definitely think with Mims being dangled, that could be something they could do. Allen Robinson is the kind of guy that Douglas might like, being he might be more shorter-term contract as well. So I think all those options are definitely good ones for the— Remember, Douglas was there when Allen Robinson came from the Jaguars. Yep. So I, I could definitely see one of those three. I don't know about Godwin or Mike Williams. I think Williams will go back to the Chargers, and Godwin is going to get a big contract somewhere else. But I'll buy it for sure. I can see the other three definitely being possibilities. All right, buy or sell. Zion Williamson will end up a New York Nick now Abs- that they traded for Cam, Ryan, Cam Reddish. Absolutely going to happen. He wants to be a Nick. He wanted the Knicks to draft him. He just fell out of place when the Pelicans got number one. I'm buying it. I'm buying it, too. Here's the thing, too. I don't think they are going to have to give him a max contract with all the injuries that they have. He's been a great player, but that might actually work in the Knicks' favor, where if they do end up trading for another star, too, and even Barrett might not get a max contract. I can see that kind of thing working. I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Jack Eichel says he's going to be skating after the All-Star break. Buy or sell. He will play for the Vegas Golden Knights in the month of February. Absolutely. I don't know about February, March, but I'm going to buy it. He's definitely playing in the second half. It's great for the Vegas Knights, who are already a great team, and they got him for practically nothing, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I think you're definitely going to try to work him in a little earlier than expected as well, get some chemistry. So it's crazy. I am also going to buy it. Team, man. It really is. All right, buy or sell. Julius Randle will be traded by the New York Knicks. I'm buying it. It's going to happen. They don't want him there. And R.J. Barrett looks like he's a pure dominant, predominant number one. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. He's young enough with the contract. I think there'll be somebody that definitely takes him on. What the Knicks will get back for him, it might take a three-team trade to get somebody good. But I think there'll be enough teams still interested just because of his age. So I will buy it. All right, buy or sell. The two centers I mentioned, Joe Pavelski or Claude Giroux. One of them will end up a New York Ranger. I'm going to sell it. I, I don't think any of those guys are going to be a New York Ranger. And why would the New York Rangers want them? Right now, they're playing good hockey, and they don't really need anybody, and they don't want to lose the chemistry. So I'm going to sell it. I can see why they would want him. I'm going to sell it. The face-offs and even Giroux is a good defensive center, too, but I don't see the Flyers being one of them to trade him to the Rangers. And Dallas, while they do have a lot of salary cap issues like the Rangers, they have similar cap issues where I think they're going to try to shed money to a team that can take on money. So I think another team would offer them more in exchange. So I am going to sell that, even though I think they should try for somebody like Pavelski. Alright, one more. Eric Bieniemy will be the next head coach of the New Orleans Saints. It seems like it's going to happen. I thought it was the Jaguars. It made a lot of sense. Now Doug Peterson's there, so there's only one job available, and as one job that he's interviewing. So eat your heart out, Tyler. I guess you're right. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too because I think as well, like I said on the Sports Lab Mouse, the other teams that had the vacancies left have the dark past with their ownership too. And now with the Byron Leftwich thing, the Jaguars might have been By the way, the voting is very close. It's like 56 to 48%. Okay. But I think even if they didn't get Doug Peterson, it still was a cloud over that just because of what could come out with Shad Khan and Byron Leftwich. We don't know the exact reasons why he did that. They mentioned Trent Baalke as being one of them, but is that the only thing? I'm not sure. So I actually am going to buy it as well. Once I heard that the enemy rumor, I think that's the destination 
nomination for him for sure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope everybody enjoyed John Schneider. It was a great show. We will have our betting money line show back next week. Our segment with Chaz and the crew. They're on their break right now because of the Super Bowl. They're getting ready over there in Vegas and enjoying themselves. So they'll be back next week. We're very excited for where this network is going and where this show is going on the network. So thank you to 103.9, and we'll keep doing what we do best here, entertaining all you sports fans. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying goodnight, and we'll see you next week.